0: i am recording (laughs) all right so thank you so much everyone for joining me on this podcast and caesar i would like to introduce you to my friend jeremy jeremy i would like you to meet my new friend caesar well he has been a frequent uh, listener of our podcast but this is his first time being a guest on the show as a guest speaker
1: it's, it's truly an honor to be a guest, but you know, and it's truly an honor to meet another uh, listener and guest. This is a um, this podcast <laughs> I, is really great.
2: Well, I, I'm really humbled and honored to, to be invited to join you folks. You know, it's one thing to be a active listener and engage in the book topics and kind of about Vegas and real estate, and now to be on the um, it's just really great, incredible. So, thank you both.
0: Mm-hmm. And Caesar, would you like to talk a little bit about your background and why you're so interested in real estate and how did you find out about this podcast?
2: Sure. Absolutely. Well, well thank you again for the opportunity to speak a little bit. So yeah, my, my story of how I got into real estate was that I probably didn't get in the, the same way a lot of people do. I am from Southern California, from Los Angeles. And I actually was working post-college. I was working for the Valley Dodgers and I was there for a season working in their season ticket office and the job finished up. It was like season end. It's like, hey, you're done with your job. You're unemployed now. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? Right. The next season was like three or four months away. And a friend of mine reached out and said, hey, there's a uh, public affairs firm that, you know, has an internship, paid internship. So I'm like, cool, get paid. Why don't you come work there? Worked there and got into working for a lot of different things, one of them being land use development. So I started working for real estate developers, helping them get their projects approved in the city of Los Angeles. As you know, California and other places, yeah. difficult to get projects approved, community support, community opposition, lining up votes, all that kind of stuff. So that's how I got into this. From there, I was you know hooked, went to grad school, used to, to study urban planning to understand how cities and neighborhoods are built and how to do something better. Because I constantly kept hearing from developers when you're negotiating well, you know, can we change your project? And I said, it's not going to pencil in. I'm like, that's the one thing you don't want to tell community members. And so then they're like, hi, you're just a greedy developer, right? So even though later on, I learned more about like that literally you could break a project by, you know, eliminating a couple of units from it. So that's how I got into it. Worked, you know, for um, a couple of different cities as a planner, helping development get built. And I worked for a developer in Santa Monica building housing and apartments. And then just kind of, you know, stuck through that industry a little bit. I've changed my profession the last couple of years going into tech, but I'm always interested in use and developments and real estate. You.
0: And you're also a new resident of the fabulous Las Vegas. I
2: am an expat of California. I moved, my wife and I, it's been relocated here. Like a lot of folks are apparently uh, back in October and uh, still getting used to the heat, but uh, you know, really like here, I live in Summerlin and, you know, so far so good. Really like it.
0: Yes. And I think, we connected with each other on LinkedIn and then yes. because you want to learn more about the history of Las Vegas, I sent Correct. you my podcast. So how do you like it so far?
2: So far, great. I mean, I think, you know, understanding how this town got developed from Lily being a military trading post to the visionaries that came out here and created the, the casinos who grew them. And then, You know, just as you've been, you know, doing different conversations about books written about Las Vegas, like focusing on real estate, even though I'm not it's not my day to day. But, you know, I hope to jump into it further and further. And and even though my work does touch real estate a little bit. so Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. And speaking of Las Vegas, there is a lot of discussions around the Oakland A's potential relocation to Las Vegas and you're definitely a sports fan so I'm going to let you to take over this entire discussion and Jeremy I think he has a lot of points that you would like to add about the financing side and the development <laughs> side of stadiums. Jeremy what do you think? What I you
1: Well I I have nothing to add right now but you know, Caesar, what you said was actually really interesting so you first worked for the Dodgers and then you get into real estate. So I was wondering, you know, maybe you'll talk a little bit about how the place where you worked was developed. Your first job, uh, Dodger ah, Stadium.
2: Yeah, yeah, I could definitely get into that. Maybe I'll tie it into this conversation for sure. Yeah, it's it's
1: a fascinating story. And there's a great book written about it, but it's a fascinating and tragic story, I think.
2: Yep, that Absolutely. Do you guys want yeah, me to start with that or you can kind of pick yeah, it ahead. up with open A's? or okay. You know,
0: I, um, I'm a very, very flexible host. I let my guests talk for 90 percent of the time <laughs> and I just play the background music at the end. Well,
2: well, awesome. Well, I like taking energy from different guests and kind of like talking. So I'll run with that a little bit. So, yeah, the, the short story of the Dodgers was obviously – The Dodgers were actually the Brooklyn Dodgers. Many years ago, that's where they started out, right? So I think Jeremy, are you based in New York, Jeremy, or where are you at? Can you tell from my accent? A little bit, you know, and then I was like seeing high rises. I'm like, well, that's not a a lot of America, but, you know, I'm going to bank it on being New York just, but that's pretty. Yeah,
1: yeah, uh, I'm from Long Island. My mom is actually from Brooklyn. So, you know, her, her mom grew up as a Dodger fan and. When the Dodgers left, everybody's heart was broken, but that's, that's neither here nor there.
2: Yeah, so that was the short story, is that I think, I'm trying to remember exactly what the reason was. It could have been literally that the team was looking for a new stadium. I can't really remember. The owners of O'Malley's were the family that owned it back. Walter O'Malley and his family owned it back in Brooklyn, and they, you know, decided to move it. There's probably more reasons than probably not doing the honor to to move it to Los Angeles all places who didn't have a team, right? And in and, and the 19... 50s slash 60s, Los Angeles wasn't the city it is today. It was still a small town city, it wasn't global, it wasn't seen as what it is today. You know, it was definitely, you know, there's a few, you know, Chicago, New York, other cities, like that's what America was. But uh, back then it wasn't the saying that. So for them to move out there was a big kind of decision and also an opportunity to move into what could be a growing market in the West, right? So they moved out there, but the land that the city put together, City of Los Angeles for them was actually a, already had people living there. And it was actually predominantly uh, uh, Hispanic at the time, Latino uh, families uh, of lower income that were living in this place, and that's where there was their housing. Right? They lived. It was called Chavez Ravine, literally, up on the hill. And, and they, L- they were
1: all homeowners too. That's what makes it especially tragic. Their their neighborhood, where they had developed a, well, a, a beautiful, thriving neighborhood, It was a poor neighborhood, that was still a neighborhood, was leveled to build a stadium.
2: Yeah, literally, you had schools there, you had businesses. And they just said, "Hey, you're going to put it there because it's just on the, you know, it's on a little hill, just a drop away from downtown Los Angeles." So they literally eminent domain uh, and forced people out of their homes to build this. And there's about a, it's about 100 plus acres up there on the Chavez Ravine. And literally, to build it, when they built the stadium, they had to dig out, right? So I think there was a couple of buildings, there's a school that really was then left and built on top of so there if you were to dig underneath Dodger stadium and that part of the there's literally a elementary school still there that they just covered up because it was cheaper to do that than to you know take it apart so actually 400 acres is total so it's like the stadium is not really 400 acres but all the land and parking lots and all that which has its own story is where so it was kind of a tragic story that you basically forced people out of their homes out of their community to build a stadium for the city in honor to help other people so that's the the Dodgers story. And over the years, you know, it's always been a, a question of what happens if the Dodgers, there was, they wanted to build a stadium there at one point, uh, a football stadium on top of that or next to that too. But it's always been contentious. Like, what do you do if, if the plan were to change the land technically would have to go back to the people that lost it. So that's the short story of that story. So, but, you know, shifting gears of, you know, having worth there, I would say, the one takeaway was that was missing there was that when you got out of the stadium, there was, it was surrounded by parking lots, right? So you wouldn't have an experience in the, you have your in the stadium, then you get in your car and get stuck in traffic and it take you about an hour to get out of it because it was up on this Hill by itself, isolated from everything else. So what's happened since that stadium, multiple other stadiums have built, it, it's a different type of stadium that people are looking to build. The best examples have been San Diego Petco. That was probably one of the bigs where When they built the Padres uh, Stadium down there in downtown San Diego, and probably Jeremy can kind of tee up on this, it really changed downtown San Diego and put it on the map and put up a bunch of life in terms of being able to have a stadium, an entertainment district kind of create around it. But Jeremy, if you want to add to that concept of of what happened there, if you know about it or even...
1: You know, I'm not familiar with what happened with Petco Field in particular, but the trend, as you said, has been... Originally, the baseball stadium would be built in the neighborhood. So Ebbets Field literally was in the middle of it, was on a block in Crown Heights. And if you look at the old baseball stadiums, they were actually, you know, the reason they had such bizarre dimensions was because they'd literally be built based on the land that you got. So there was the Polo Grounds, which was a stadium that was later condemned and turned into a housing development, was literally just long because that's what they had. That that was the block. Ebbets Field is a very small stadium. All grounds is long. Once the car came into effect, and they wanted the teams to get out of these neighborhoods because they were crowded, there wasn't a lot of parking, and people had moved to the suburbs, basically. So you look at what they built next. It was Shea Stadium, Dodger Stadium, the stadiums in um, Philadelphia, Baltimore. They were all in the middle of parking lots. Now the idea is basically to build downtown, which brings back, the idea of that I think you're trying to get at, which is the stadium is a, as a as a vehicle to do real estate development, and that's really interesting because it gives a lot of leverage to the developers, because you know, look, in America, one of our religions is, is organized sports. So, if if you, you if you're a city, you don't want the Dodgers leaving town. That's that's really bad. So, our stadium has become a vehicle to develop for, for developments. That's, that's really what I had to
2: add. Yeah. Um any, any questions Manjo, or do you want me to kind of, like oh, kind of carry off. That I, energy?
0: I, this reminds me of the development of the waiters in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. that stadium. Yes. And because once the, the waiters plan development plan has announced all of the surrounding real estate, all of those industrial old buildings, all of their values gone up. And then I think in Arizona, Phoenix developer bought that 1.8 acres of vacant land just directly right across the street from the main entrance of the stadium for like, I, I don't remember the exact number, but he bought it at the beginning of this year and he flipped it. He got a triple net lease with in and out and then he flipped it to another developer, and he pocketed in probably a few million dollars. It just tells you how valuable all of these real estates are when you're surrounding a 63,000-seat football stadium in Las Vegas. And we just had our first two major events. The first one was the UFC fight. The second one was a country music concert. Black Brooks. Same yes. night, right?
2: Same time, same time. Yeah.
0: And I mean, I I look at v- these videos on social media. It's all packed, and it's our first major stadium event since the pandemic. So, so it's a very exciting time for Las Vegas.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and the, one one point that I think is uh, interesting is the Raiders play eight home games a year. So that means they've got three hundred fifty something days that they need to fill with other stuff, with Garth, with UFC, a baseball team has 81 games. Mm-hmm. So you're in Vegas, you probably have 300 days that you can actually use the arena. A third of those are just taken up with baseball. So it's, it's literally a, maybe a better tenant, especially if you're a local store who's starting to, you know, wants to start a business because you know that 81 days out of the year, there are going to be 60,000, 30,000, however many thousand people in the in the stadium because they're going to the baseball game. You know, with the Raiders, football games are bigger. They get better crowds. Probably spend more money, but it's eight games a year. You know, plus playoffs.
2: That's so, a good point.
0: Here, here's the statistics. Um, the Whoa. the Las Vegas Raiders um, board of directors, or they they actually did a presentation. And one of their representatives say that, well, this was before the pandemic happened two years ago. Five years after the opening day of the waiter Stadium, the venue was fully booked for all sorts of events. Um, two years ago, they were talking about um, all of these concerts and music festivals. Um, I don't know what the number is now because of the pandemic, but that UFC fight and that country music concert last week and what i see all of these people's pictures and videos on social media the entire stadium is fully packed of people
2: yeah i would definitely say that the you know the, the excitement from that i've talked to folks friends that were from out of town just came in for the garth concert right and then at the same time you had the T-Mobile full with this uh, UFC fight, which probably makes more of its money literally on TV, right, selling and those kind of things. But mm-hmm. being an experience and, and was he was packed. So I would say a couple of things. One is I know we're probably like leading, we're really leading the, the Oakland thing. But you know I think it's important to understand where yeah. where Vegas is now. I remember yeah. you know from my experience being Los Angeles, I was in a town that lost. That I grew up, we had a lot of teams. We had the Rams and the Raiders and the. A Angels, which were actually technically in Anaheim, so further away, but we had the Dodgers, right? And the Lakers and the Clippers, right? Then we lost two football teams, like just in the matter of years when I was a kid. Raiders moved up to Oakland, the Rams moved away to St. Louis. So all of a sudden, we were left, Los Angeles was left without a, a football team for many years, right? And over the years, people were putting together stadium deals left and right. We're going to, you know, bring a team here, bring it, to, and a lot of them fell apart for different reasons. So I've been through that experience, of, you know, where your, your city loses a team. And, and we got to remember that in in our modern time for real estate stadiums these days are probably what it was, what cathedrals were back, you know, during the Renaissance period where you were building these massive churches, kind of significance of power, sense of money. More recently, skyscrapers have been that right in different cities. So I think for a city to put up its flag that it has the team, it, it, it shows that it's arrived, right? That it's it's not just, you know, whatever the economy is there, it's really like now we're international, now we have this brand, the major leagues of different sports have blessed us to be able to put a team there. So I think one thing about this conversation really is also is that on the one hand, you have a city, Oakland, that could be losing t- another team. They've already lost two teams. The Oakland used to have the Golden State Warriors, the Raiders, the Oakland Athletics, right? Those are the teams that had. And oh, uh, Raiders relocated to Las Vegas. Golden State Warriors moved across the Bay to San Francisco for their new stadium. And now you're talking about the A's possibly leaving. Now, why are the A's leaving and then why Las Vegas, right? So in May, it was announced that Major League Baseball gave permission to the Oakland A's to go ahead and look for another city to relocate to. Why? Because they've been trying to build a, a new stadium for many, many years. And they felt both the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball that they weren't getting any traction with the city of Oakland on their plan. Now, Jeremy talked about how the real estate around a project for a stadium is very important. Well, the Oakland proposal is the stadium by itself is about one billion dollars there. What they're talking about a stadium that would come to Vegas would be also cost a billion dollars. So we can put that number aside. But the big project in Oakland is not just about the stadium. It's an additional call $11 billion of real estate development on the waterfront. So the ownership really wants to make its money on the real estate, building housing, commercial shops, you name it, right? That's a co- thousands of units. So that's the full project that's before the city of Oakland and also the county of Alameda. So there's multiple agents that have to go through it. So they've been working on this for years, You know, put money up to do meetings for architect plans, engineering plans, and haven't gotten any signal that they're closer than they were. So that's why they started coming out to, you know, to take a look at Vegas since May. And they've now made three trips out here since May. They were just here last weekend from everything that I've read. And I have it in my sub stack that I've collected rent rent for Las Vegas. And the reason Las Vegas, as I told you, it was because at one point Vegas, there was a guy that had the land grant for Vegas and he decided to change it to Los instead of Las because there was a Las Vegas, Nevada, New Mexico. So anyhow, short story of it is that's why the Oakland, you know, athletics ownership, or at least the president has been coming out here to take a look to see if one maybe putting pressure on Oakland and they have a vote on July 20th to signal whether they keep moving forward or not on the proposal is one of the reasons that, you know, Vegas I think got on the map is because of what has happened with the Golden Knights and the Raiders. Had that, had those two teams not been here, they probably wouldn't be looking at Vegas. Honestly, I think.
0: I'm not a sports fan, but I've been watching the Golden Knights news like, this entire season and i've been cheering for my hometown it's the hometown pride that it, when we get it there.
2: surely is i've I've never again being from i i didn't experience until my trips here a level of pride in the golden knights on game days you see everyone throughout town wearing you know jerseys and all up and down I'm like wow it's so bonded with it's brought vegas it's you know that level of connection yes. so that's it's amazing team so that's what a team can do for
0: you. yeah it, it, like,
2: that's oh. that's really true
0: Yeah, like even for people like me, I don't really watch sports, but because it's Las Vegas, it's my hometown, I've been following them throughout the season.
1: It's What's so interesting is that for years, cities have been willing to borrow money, increase taxes, and do anything to get these teams because, like you guys just said, you go from being a second-rate, you know, not really a city, I guess, you know, that's how cities see it, you know, I have to have an NFL team. I have to have a baseball team. I have to have a hockey team. That brings that brings legitimacy, and it brings a sense of um, a civic pride. I guess that you really don't see. But I was wondering if you'd be able to talk about what the Warriors did right across the uh, right across the bay from the Athletics, mm-hmm. because from what I understand, they actually used the stadium for a team that or the arena for a team that is probably probably the team of the decade. From what I understand in the NBA but they've used it to do other things like build a office building that Uber is in or something like.
2: That. Yeah. So interesting. Uh, the little I know about it, um, you know, this, I think the big, the big proponents behind that stadium was actually, I found not mistaken, I think it was Salesforce. So Mark Benioff, who's created Salesforce is also, you know, one of, in the land of Silicon Valley, there's several, you know, billionaires and he's one of those. And especially specifically in San Francisco property, like that's his mark. The company has a big, the tallest tower there and they have, uh, where actually their BART goes into, et cetera. So it's kind of like the biggest building now in, in San Francisco. So what they did with that stadium is interesting. Is that you had, I believe, another entity acquire the land ahead of time, waterfront land, and basically say, "Hey, would you guys you know move over here if we build this for you?" And what they also did was at the time, you know, this is probably like a couple years ago when, when Uber was at max valuations before things got really you know cut. You know, said, you know, Uber should relocate its headquarters to, you know, there as part of an office building. So they really created a whole complex of office and and retail, et cetera, similar to what had happened with the Giants stadium over there in San Francisco. That was also, you know, previously the Giants had played in this uh, park called Candlestick for many years. Well, when it became time to look for a new stadium, they looked at this one industrial area, the Lily docks by the, you know, by the bay there and created the stadium, but also a big real estate development kind of multi-village got built with it. So and initially when the stadium when it was just a stadium and kind of like just industrial area and empty parking lots, now over there where the Giants play in San Francisco, you have, and I used to work across the street from it two years ago when I was at Lyft. So I used to kind of have that, that view shot, but you saw a whole village develop around the stadium where you had a couple of buildings, we had offices, you had multifamily developments, of apartments, you know, you had the light rail move in there. You had, so now, and now after like, Maybe it's been a, more than 10 years since it opened the, the stadium. but now you have actually a tr- new community that's filled in. There's a whole hospital section that like a bunch of hospital medical buildings were built around that stadium. All that came in because of the stadium. So mm-hmm. the vision of, hey, we're bringing the sports here, but it's the developers that have actually put in to say, what else can we build around it to kind of play off of that excitement and that energy and capital to build around this?
0: I think this reminds me, I think Clark County just released a master plan, development plan or vision of redeveloping all of those industrial buildings surrounding the Raider stadium. Yeah.
2: Yeah. They, um, they basically created a plan that's, or and truly calling it an entertainment district to uh, incentivize certain things. So like, since not too long ago, I think there was an announcement like in and out is going to open up right across yes. from there and now very popular, right. Others. And, and they're having discussions. I know I haven't been to them, but they've had other you know discussions with the community of like, what kind of entertainment district do you want? Do you want to have, it kind of a situation where you come out of the game, people can walk around and there's like a bunch of bars and restaurants, similar to what you see at Wrigley and or in Chicago, right? The, the famous Chicago Cubs, they have this unique experience that when you come out of the ballpark, there's restaurants and bars. And, and so that's like one thing of entertainment district. Is it going to be more uh, of a district that has, you know, clubs there and all that? So I think that's what Clark's kind of putting the thresholds and getting the input of what kind of, and what things we want to incentivize the land for people to build there. So that's, you're absolutely right about that.
0: Yeah, and like I said, I like to talk about it from a developer's perspective. It's great for it to get incentivized, but I know the landlords are kind of tough to deal with because their expectation of the price of their land is always unmatched with mm. what the developers are willing to pay for. Because for a master entertainment district redevelopment plan like this, who is going to be that first developer that goes in and build great? You have an in and out with a you know triple net lease with in and out, and then and then what else can you build there if it's a club? But if you're the first person that built just a club or just a shopping mall, like a small shopping center over there, and then you will be surrounded by all of these industrial buildings and trucks going in and out. So it's kind of like a collective. Synergy of, you know, a group of developers that can do together, or a huge developer that come in and we develop the whole thing.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I'm curious, have you seen? Go
0: ahead. But that would be difficult too because they have to assemble the lens because it's those those industrial buildings. I don't know how old they are, but I remember, you know, when I was a kid, I remember those <laughs> industrial buildings were standing there and they're very small, tiny parcels owned by different owners.
2: Got it. Have you, I'm curious, have you seen, since the stadium was announced, since the stadium built, you know, it's there, it's going to be used now. I mean, it's already being used. Has the land traded? Have, have owners been selling um, or is it, You know, are people looking to develop their own land or is it one of those that like you're saying the owners may sell, but the price, you know, they have a price in mind and no one's going in there or people are waiting for the first kind of like development to kind of set off the trend.
0: I've seen I can talk about three news public that people um, know about the first land deal traded. I think it got closed like two months before the stadium plan announced. So. Hmm. There's a lawsuit between the, the new owner and the old landlord because, you know, they were like, hey, did you guys already know about this? You know, these new buyers, did you know about the, the stadium plan before you bought my land? There's like a lawsuit going on between. So, so that happened two years ago or no, that happened um, before the stadium got built. I don't know what's going on with the lawsuit now. Um, and then the in and out parcel. I told you about that Phoenix developer just flipped it to another developer. Right, um, The land attached with an in and out triple net lease. Hey, that adds value to the land too. And then the third one is there's a small parcel that is for sale. But and what the broker has on the brochure is a high rise building on this tiny parcel. So basically the industrial building on this parcel is like, it's going to be a redevelopment plan. So that's what the broker or, you know, think the new buyer will is p- potentially a developer because nobody's going to, you know, run an industrial building right next to, you know, the Raiders stadium it has to be something we developed. Um, but I think it's just the price of the land is unmatched with what the developers willing to pay for.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. I think that those are all good questions. Okay, that's helpful to know. One thing I'll put out there in terms of what I've been reading about, and this is all just stuff, public stuff that's and picking up of any mm-hmm. quotes from the papers, right, from the Las Vegas Review Journal, is what locations that now that they've been looking at. So I, it's my understanding of a couple of trips that the Oakland A's led by President David Cavall, who is kind of a fascinating character. He went to Stanford, right? I don't think he played professional sports or, or anything like that, but he actually wrote a book on ballparks and he him and his I think college friend or something, they took a trip to, I think every ballpark in America to look at you know, just their own fascination prior to him even being in baseball. And he wrote a book about it I haven't actually it's on Amazon I heard the, but like so he kind of has a particular interest in and in has taken the time to study like what kind of parks work and don't work across you know baseball. His previous background, I think he was running, He ran a sports, a baseball sports league, like a minor league sports league. Like I forgot the California sports league name. And then from there, he went over to become their president of the San Jose uh, Quakes, the soccer team, I believe. I could have the name wrong, but that's, and then from there he got, you know, recruited to be the president of the Oakland A's. But in his trips out here, a couple of the sites started out very small, but then have moved to many locations. So a couple of those that I'll throw out, and that's where our real estate comments come in. If you're thinking about Las Vegas, the site that always comes is a Cashman Stadium, right? In downtown Las Vegas, the former stadium that's there, I think it's used by a soccer team. That's something the city of Las Vegas would love to see to be developed. There's been, you know, when the Raiders came, that was a site they kind of pushed on. Any other attempts, they've done there, right? So that's one site that's being looked at. If you're talking about Henderson, there's a site by St. Rose Parkway, close to where the Raiders have their practice facility that's a piece of land. And I think there's also an airport there. That's a possibility that's been thrown out there. Um Years ago, Cindy Henderson had actually talked to the Arizona Diamondbacks to get them to relocate from there to move there to that site. The deal didn't happen, but that's on their site. And then, of course, there's in Summerlin. So Howard Hughes Development is the big owner of land over here and the master developer. And there's already a ballpark, right, where the Las Vegas Aviators play, which is a minor league baseball team of the Oakland A's. So the ballpark is about 10,000 seats, which is smaller than a typical major league baseball park. But, not, you know, smaller by 20,000 seats, or 40,000, like building a baseball park now for like probably more than 40,000 seats is is unlikely. Like Dodger Stadium had 54,000 seats. And even though it had record attendances, you're probably not going to see baseball parks built. They're getting smaller, they're getting more intimate. So you can literally sit down and you have good views wherever you're at. So those are kind of like the three main sites that I think there's other sites, like maybe circus circus, you know, some portion of it could be used or something in the strip. But I think the two concepts come out of it is, if the team is located in in the strip, it's a different concept. It doesn't need an entertainment district because you're plopping it into where there's already a district. If you're building it in Henderson or in Summerlin, in Summerlin, I mean, there's already a village there, but you would need to build that district around it. So those are, I think, the concepts of like if a team, if stadium were to be built, what would be a better fit for Las Vegas? And I'm throwing it both at you guys just to think about like what, what does it mean differently?
0: Jeremy, your audio doesn't work.
2: You had a good reaction to too. I saw him go, can you hear me now? Yeah.
1: Yes. Okay. So the first, the only point I have is, um, isn't there already a stadium in Summerlin? I think there's a minor league stadium, right? Yeah. So is this a case like with like San Francisco, for example, when, when the giants moved to San Francisco, there was already a baseball team in San Francisco. Was It was a minor league team or third league team, but, would this just be building on from what i understand the team's doing very very well and howard hughes yeah i don't know i've never been there but i don't know what exactly the setup of the team arena is but from what i understand howard hughes knows what they're doing and they're very happy with the team being in the uh in the neighborhood it's in now it may not be a part of a high-rise district it may be a part of a downtown district and the trend like you said has been to move teams downtown because people can walk around and build stuff around it, and many times the developers have tried to do that. But does Howard Hughes have any? Have you got? Is there any indication as to whether or not Howard Hughes wants a team there, or what what their feeling is on that? And how,
2: how's that team doing? So that team, to my knowledge, is doing well in terms of attendance in at the minor league baseball. It's a very exciting. High level attendance so far in you know, a post-pandemic course. I think like everybody else, they were shut down last year. I think the season was paused or even they, or they didn't have fans, one of the two. But, uh, you know, you walk out of the stadium and you instantly have the Summerlin Mall that's there. You have the Red Rock Casino. You have transit kind of like busing that kind of comes right there. There's the Golden Knights have a practice facility next door to it. And then they still have a lot of land around the stadium. that's not built. Yeah. So it's, although they've announced they're going to be building, I think 200,000 square feet of new office somewhere there in one of those plots of land mm-hmm. and also another round of apartment. So yes, that portion of Summerlin is probably the most an urban village of Summerlin versus just a bunch of suburban homes that the rest of Summerlin is. So yeah. um, they own half of the team. Uh, like I said, they own half of that minor league baseball team. I don't know who the other half is. If it's literally they they're an A's affiliate, but I don't know who the other you know half is owner of that team, but I would think they would love to have them there. I think they'd have to redo the stadium, which with, you know, technology now and architecture, I'm sure there's a way to do it that it's not like blowing up stadium and starting from scratching. There's a way to probably expand it. Like I said, the land around is literally empty unless it's spoken for that I'm not aware of. So you could work with it. There's even talks now that even if they picked on their side in Vegas, or even if they would succeed in Oakland, that they might play out of there temporarily because you know, stadiums take about two years of build. So even if they came to Las Vegas and they picked on their side, they could play out of that stadium for, you know, a right. season or, or two, depending if they needed it.
0: Yeah. And I think the Red Wall Casino would love to have a team there, Oakland A there to play their games there and don't, Forget the owner behind the Red Rock Casino and how powerful that family tell,
2: is. Can you tell us about that? I don't okay. know them too well. I've heard of the name, but I don't know their let's story.
0: Let's skip this part and let's move on to I'll the go. Henderson side. Um, <laughs> the, they I'm were bastard. the previous owner of the UFC. but That's right. They, yeah, they don't own it anymore. But, you know, Station Casino, they used to own the, the Palms. They sold it to an Indian tribe. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Can I just ask a question, though? Yeah, sure. So, here's the thing: we're talking from the real, you know. If I, obviously, if I own the the team, the, the oh. side or the flip side right. of
0: that. Jeremy, you, you got know, cut off. Sorry. sorry, you got cut off for five uh, seconds. I'm,
1: I'm, I'm sitting at my computer here in my uh, apartment, which I'm getting ready to give up. But um, so anyway, coming at it, but coming at it from the opposite side, the opposite side, my view is I own the team. I want somebody to give me the land for, for cheap or free or whatever, and then zone it prop, properly so I can build it. Why would I want to go and have Frank Fertitta or Howard Hughes or any of these other guys get all the profits? I'm the one who's who owns the team. Don't I want that? So are any of these sites under with the A's buy the sites? With the with the A's management be buying the, team, the sites or would they be? Doing some sort of profit share or, or land lease because that could be a very interesting negotiation. I think. Uh, I think when Dodger Stadium was built, the land was literally just given at discount to O'Malley. And you know, traditionally in the United States, the way that we've done things here, uh, I guess you could go in terms of, of multiple eras. The original era, you would the stadium was built by the owner. Mm-hmm. In the second era, the stadium has been was built by the city, like Veterans Field or you know, any one of the, the multi-use stadiums. But the unlike A's Stadium, I think it's, it was built by the, the county, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, so now we're moving to an era where they still want subsidies, but they're willing to take the risk because, like, take the Warriors. He's seeing billions of dollars in real estate appreciation. That's the reason he's doing it. He's a sports fanatic and all that. But you look at other big developments in, in uh, Minnesota. There was a big development where the state contributed, but the, the the family that owns the team contributed a lot of money. Dallas, the Cowboys Stadium, a Yankee Stadium, although there was no really a development associated with them. I'm trying to think of what other of other stadiums. But I mean, the big, the biggest private one of them all was uh, SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles.
2: Yeah, that, that was you know built SoFi Stadium where the Rams play, um, or. I think are about to start playing. Yeah, they actually haven't yet. I think this is another year. And that was formerly Hollywood Park, a a casino racetrack in Southern California. So that's where they were able to come in with a big REIT. What's the name of the group? Stockdale? Stock Stockbridge Group, I think, and buy it and really build on a, on a, a plot over there. So, but they still got, you know, they had to get a couple approvals from the state. They had to get some subsidies. So I think two parts of that question you're absolutely right if you're the ownership you're not going to it's not just about moving a team and building a one billion dollar stadium which is also the cost here so even though it's interesting that it costs a billion dollars to build in san francisco it costs a billion dollars here that there's got to be a difference in cost or somewhere right because it doesn't to build a stadium doesn't cost you a billion dollars in san francisco it's the same price here in las vegas but i think that there has to there has to be some upside for them they're not going to make their money on building a stadium right they're going to build money on the real estate. So, you know, when you bring up that example, like what opportunity do they have in Summerlin if Howard Hughes is the owner of the land? If Henderson depends, you know, maybe they buy the plot of land. I don't know if the city is the one that actually owns it. Vegas, if it's Cashman, well, it's a city property, something, and maybe they have plots around there. So that, that could be the factor of where they decide to locate, right, is where they could put up their own land and see the appreciation. And like everybody else, that's where they make their it's a real estate play more so than just building a stadium. The temperature though, you mentioned how you pay for this. The Raiders may have been the last team here to get something where they got a subsidy, right? The, the way this, the Raiders got money. And you may know this more than I do is they, you know, it's money got put up by the Las Vegas convention authority off of this, the uh, hotel room tax to pay for like the, I don't think all of it, but maybe for a certain gap or something, that's usually what happens if there's a certain amount of like, a gap that you have to, they go to the public financing. Do you know a little bit about how the the Raiders financing got done?
0: The land was paid by taxpayers' dollars, 60 acres across the street from I-15 behind the Mendeley Bay. So they got the land for free. But I don't know much about the construction cost side. They might got some gap or incentives or tax incentives, something like that.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, a way that the NFL actually has a fund that helps these guys build the stadiums. And from what I understand the davis family is actually one of the quote poorest nfl owners meaning they they've owned the team since the, probably the 60s when al davis inherited it there was a 30 for 30 about him a few years ago mm-hmm. so his wealth is really tied up in the team i'm sure he i don't know how they financed it i'm guessing there was a large chunk of debt he probably got investors for some of it, but my understanding is, is that the NFL also kicked in a substantial credit facility to to help. And that was a, a big deal.
0: I think the waiter stadium was $1.9 billion. That's about right. To, I think
2: so I've heard that amount. Two, yeah.
0: Yeah. Close to $2 billion. Yep. And, and they completed, um, I think two and a half under three years, the construction process, that, that, that is impressive of how the record. county, yeah, of how you know the county was able to put this deal together and build it this quickly.
2: Well, I, I think the SoFi Stadium started before the Raiders started their construction, their whole deal, and it still was it took it still wasn't done. You know, Raiders finished the stadium, and that was still going, and that that was like a three year, three or four year project. So definitely, you know, Vegas and Nevada showed how you could get it done when there's so when people are yes. motivated to get it done. Everybody can do it, but I think the appetite for public financing, at least based on public comments that have been said in the articles in the last couple of weeks, you know, there's not an appetite for that. But, you know, that all can change. You never, you know, again, things, you know, opportunities present themselves. So, yeah.
0: I'm a little bit curious. How is Las Vegas different from other cities when it comes to, like, the Waiters deal or the A's or the the ballpark in Summerlin? Like, I just feel like this city it's so great at when it comes to these massive projects, we're just so great at just get it done. As long as it's great for this town and we just get it done. I don't know whether it's because it's a smaller town compared to San Francisco or Oakland. So the um, the politics is less complicated. I don't know, so you, you don't have to go through that many layers of people or process.
2: Right. Um, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, a couple of things play out here is that, you know, the way Nevada is, it's really the the bigger population centers are Las Vegas and Reno, right? The Reno, Sparks, Nevada area. Those are the two biggest populations of the state. So where the political, you know, power comes from is, is, is you know, it's still proportional to population, but Las Vegas plays a big role. I think currently in this climate, what helps and, and is that you know the governor, Governor sislack was you know is from Las Vegas. He was a, count, a Clark County commissioner, right? So the the big players are Clark County, uh, Clark County, the county that you know Las Vegas sits in, obviously, and the state level. Those are the two big players that can make the difference happen. Now, uh, if it's more local, you might have the city play up, but if if they all line up together, you can make it happen that way quickly. Yeah. And I think that's the, and that's what Nevada has shown. Also, when they've attracted up north, they've done several things a little bit different real estate play. But, you know, when Tesla came and built their gigafactory up there, some data centers, Nevada has really put together a good set of, of packages for those projects to be built here in the state of Nevada. So even though that's not sports, but it's shown that, like, you know, they they know how to put it together to incentivize a deal to happen here. Yeah, I,
1: I, I think there's one or two other things that are important. Number one is Vegas is a city that's always reinventing itself. And inherently, I think it's a lot more friendly to development. And I'm not saying there aren't interest groups. There absolutely are. One of the biggest interest groups in Vegas is the hotel workers union. Right? Uh, they tend to be in favor of let's build. And also, I don't think like the strip is not a major residential center from what I understand. So if, if it happens on the strip, it's not bothering anybody. You go to, You go to a place like Oakland. Or, or, you know, Oakland is a poorer city. Uh, There's not a lot of industry. People are paying property taxes out the nose. Uh, Los Angeles, everybody's always having problems with what's going on. (laughs) So I think Vegas is just more, places like Vegas, Arizona, Florida, Texas, they're growing. So they're interested in expanding the pie as opposed to a place like California, New York, where everybody, it's not really growing as much. It's more like we're we're stable. You know, we're not. We're not growing, we're not shrinking, we're growing slowly. I think cities like this are just much more friendly in terms of let's build this. And plus, I think in Vegas, there's a recognition that, you know, if if this thing is completed, you know, it it adds value to the city. Whereas, you know, Los Angeles is like, or, or, you know, LA with the, you know, for years, there were always efforts to get LA. There was always a suspicion, I think, that the NFL was using LA. I'm just going to use a city that doesn't have an NFL team.
2: Kansas City? City. No, no, wrong, wrong.
1: They, oh, they, they do. I'm sorry. out.
2: Yeah, uh, sure Albany.
1: <laughs> I'm i I'm an owner in Albany and I'm picking on Albany because or let's not even say Albany. I'm I'm an owner in Midland City City. So I have a team in Midland City. I've got i look, I'm doing well. The NFL everybody makes money because of the TV. This money that we're talking about for the NFL, that's just a bonus. The NFL makes money just based off of TV. Or, or from what the newspapers report. Baseball, you do have teams losing money even though they have a monopoly. Your salaries or inflation have been subject to a massive amount of inflation. So I go to the governor of Midland and I say, you know, governor, I want a new stadium. The governor says, well, I just had I have to run for reelection last year. You want me to impose a tax so you can build a new stadium that you keep all the profits and appreciation from? No way, I'm not doing that. You know, the, the, the voters are gonna throw me out. Okay. let me go to LA. They'll put up a stadium for me and they'll give me all these incentives. Are you still willing to do that? And they played that game for about 30 years, 20 years, 25 years. And eventually the number ran out. And before they used LA, they used Baltimore. But, and the next one they'll use is St. Louis. Although I don't think St. Louis has is is ever going to give the NFL a dime. I think they're, they're the ones bitten twice bitten never again, as opposed to once bitten twice shy. But yeah, the, the, the value that people see a value of this, and there, there have been studies done where the value to stadiums and teams is really not there. It's concentrated in the owners. Yeah, there's really, it really hasn't been much development. But I think the re, the recent trend has been, and there was an article over the weekend in, about the about New York City's downtown and other downtowns. And the point that that article basically made was that downtowns need people. You know, you can have a business district that if it's a business district where I drive in, go up to work and leave at night, you know, the district was really, really hurt. But a, a district where you have people living like the financial district, which has mm-hmm. somehow survived. I think I think they're moving more towards that model as opposed to the old model. Was I'm going to build you a stadium that's at the crossroads of every freeway. So I can take the 405 home. I can take the 101 home, the 10, you know, whatever your local freeway is. Um, you know, like Veterans Stadium was built literally in the middle of, like, or, or Giant Stadium is literally in the middle of the Everglades, the Meadowlands. Um, so I think the trend has been to move stadiums downtown, like Camden Yards uh, was built downtown Baltimore. Nobody went to that, de- well, there were office buildings in downtown Baltimore. I didn't know when I was a kid, nobody lived in downtown Baltimore. My two siblings met, three siblings actually, at different points. Lived in downtown Baltimore. Both of them actually are marrying or married people who they met in downtown Baltimore. So the, the, the neighborhood's really changed. I think the people see, cities are starting to see these stadiums as a as a vehicle to get, you know, some interest going. Plus, you know, if I build a state, maybe this billionaire owner will invest money in other stuff.
2: Those are some good points. Yeah, I, I definitely think what makes Las Vegas stand out a little bit. The opportunity for a lot of folks from to travel here just for a game. So, you know, you, we mentioned briefly the two big sports events that happened or concert and sports event that happened this week, and a lot of those people that came out. I mean, I haven't seen the exact numbers, but were from out of town. And I think having a baseball team, eighty-one games, presents a lot of teams, fans from other cities, saying, "Hey, you know what? Let's go watch our favorite team in Las Vegas." Right? I think Vegas has become what best example, my cousin, was really from Chicago, moved out, you know, Cubs fan, all moved out here. And interestingly enough, and in, since he's lived in Las Vegas, I think it's easier for him to see most of his family from all over the U S because yes. they always end up in Las Vegas. Right. Once a year, someone's got a special trip for whatever reason. So I think that's what Vegas kind of, it pulls people to like have like, Hey, let's do that sporting. Oh, it's in Vegas. Yeah. Let's make it happen there versus like, Hey, let's really go to Milwaukee to watch that game. You know, we really got to go. So it's like, you know, probably you're going to pick Vegas or Milwaukee to go watch a ball of your team play, right? If you had a decision on the calendar. So I think that's what it could do. Depending on the location, I think they'll, they'll drive it one way or the other. If it's more, you know, in the downtown or by the strip, it might create a different audience uh, and fan base. Although I'm sure people, Golden Knight fans say, yeah, Hey, look, that's on the strip and it's doing pretty well with the fan base locally. And the Golden Knights are a local team. If it's further out, you may see, you know, some people, you know, develop in in a different way. So, Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think Las Vegas is transforming itself into a sports and entertainment and hospitality city. So it's not only about gambling anymore. And I haven't traveled outside of Las Vegas since the pandemic happened but I have been seeing more friends in Las Vegas than before the pandemic. Like I used to travel to like New York or Miami or LA, but now everybody comes here for vacation and they just call or text me, Mingzhu, I'm on the strip, let's meet up. So so I'd be (laughs) like meeting all of these people from out of state in Las Vegas that don't need to travel to their cities to meet with them. And all of these conventions and I just think sports in Las Vegas makes sense. If I'm going to travel to somewhere to see a game, I would like to stay in Las Vegas and extended stay, not just for that one day for the game. And we have over 150,000 hotel rooms on the Strip and an international airport that is only five minute drive from the Mandalay Bay, from the Strip. So I think it's great. It's convenient for transportation, and who doesn't want to spend a few days in Las Vegas?
1: That's a great point, and, and you know the other thing is, is that a lot of you know it gives you another thing to do when you're in town for that convention. So if I come right. to town for the, yeah. I see you know I could tell you a story. So about before the plague, BC, before COVID, um, <laughs> a, someone I knew from college was in town for some. Event. Uh, I forgot what it was. Calls me up and says, "I, you know, can I want to go to this event? Can you help me out?" So I, I figured out how to get. I got him into the event. Fine. Uh, so what are we gonna do? Go out to dinner and sit in a restaurant and stare at each other. I said, you know what let's go to a baseball game." He's like, "You could get me into the stadium." So I, I literally went online. I bought two tickets to Yankee Stadium. Oh, wow. You know, the cheap seats, you know, the still good seats. And you know, we were just. I sent it. I said, "Here's your ticket." Yeah, because now it's all electronic. You know, it's an e-ticket. Just met, met him at the seat. We had a great time. You know, we tou- we walked around the stadium, scoped it out. Um, game was over, we left. You know, next time it's going to be to to a hockey game, hopefully. But you know, it's the thing is, is that people will fly across the world to go to a World Series, the Super Bowl, maybe even a football game. Uh, you know, I think uh, England had a lot of people fly in to go to the uh, the Euros. Uh, unfortunately the English fans decided to storm the stadium because um, mm. there were not enough of seat. They were not, they felt they were not being allowed in. But with Vegas, you got the people, the people you don't have to get people to come to Vegas. The people are already coming to Vegas. So I think the A's must, and this would be the fourth move for the A's or something. The oh, third move. Wow. So the A's were originally in Philadelphia. Then they were in Kansas city. Then they moved to Oakland. So now they're talking about moving to Vegas, which I hadn't even heard, but you know, baseball teams do move frequently. The Braves were originally in Boston. Then they were in Milwaukee. Now then, now they're in Atlanta. That's right. uh, the Orioles were once the St. Louis Browns. Um, you know, teams move around because, you know, look, people move. And the population as of 30 years ago is not the population center of today. Vegas is not what it was even 10 years ago uh, or 15 years or 20 years ago it's, it's a booming metropolis and maybe the time has come.
0: Yes.
2: Yeah. I would say just to probably, I know we're, we're hitting that mark. So we'll, we'll see what what happens. I think as somebody quoted it the other day in the paper, it was, you know, the deal with Oakland, while it's not the 20th, July 20th is not the end all date. It is further along, right. It's in the later innings. And, in Las Vegas, we're in the early innings still. So, you know, even if there's a fourth trip that happens before the 20th for the, you know, as the, the ownership team try, tries to come out here to maybe potentially, I would think that the pressure for them is to try to put together some initial deal, some term sheet that they can go back to counter, you know, Oakland and say, hey, look, we already have an initial, which would still be early here in Las Vegas, but that's kind of what they're trying to do. It's not just I don't don't think it's enough to show up here, have some press, and then that's going to really move the needle over there until you show up with, like, a term. You saying, hey, we got a handshake deal or something in Las Vegas, that that makes another level of pressure for that, you know, entity over there to decide. And, you know, we also have to realize in Oakland, it's it's, which are the voices that really matter? I don't, you know, I can't tell from way over here or anything. Is it, are the fan base really, like, we need them here? Is the rest of the city on board with that? Is it more they just don't want to lose? Or do they even care? I don't know, you know, and I, I...
1: so in my first job, I worked for the Nassau County Executive of Long Island, and you know, you have no idea where Nassau County is. You wouldn't unless you lived in Long Island or New York. So it's Brooklyn, Queens, Nassau. And 50 years ago, they built an arena called the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. Uh, it's known as the barn. It's, it's a very small, very old, very rickety arena. My pet peeve about the Coliseum is that they have no women's restrooms, you, you know, very few, there, was, once I was there the last time I was there, the line was like halfway around the rotunda for the women's bathroom. If I'm a, a, and look, you know, that's not the bathroom I would use, but if I'm going with my family and they have to wait online to use the bathroom, I don't think I'm gonna go back, so I just didn't think, But that's neither here nor there. So anyway, 10 years, 12 years ago, when I got my job working for Mr. Mangano, uh, the, the owner of the Islanders was a guy named Charles Wong, and he had bought the Islanders because it sits basically, the arena sat basically in the middle of 70 acres of undeveloped parking lots in the middle of Nassau County. It was an old military base known as Mitchell Field. Around it, firms had developed towers. They're now all owned by RXR, and RXR does very well by owning these towers. I think there's a landless island. I don't even remember. But the, the Coliseum needed to go. It was a dumpy old arena. And what was interesting, there were two points that I think were interesting. Number one was the discussion was never about replacing the Coliseum. It was always about renovating the Coliseum and doing something else, which was the tip-off to me that this is not only about the Coliseum. Something bigger is going on here. And interesting, I actually at one point went to the people in charge and said, you know, why do you guys want to rehabilitate this place? Just build the tear it down. It's a dump. Build a new one. The answer was, well, you know, it's a good arena. It has good bones. So they tried to do a deal. First, it was a, the first deal was from the mid-2000s. That was called the Lighthouse. They were going to build this mega city in that little area. That didn't work. The second deal, they tried working something out. That didn't work. Then they had a third deal where they were going to do something where the, the, the county would pay for it, basically as a form of TIF. That didn't work. The team always was saying, we're going to move. The threat was Kansas City. Comes then... Brooklyn, and they've got the Barclays Center, and they end up moving to Barclays Center. The problem with the Barclays Center is that their fan base was kind of centered, like right over the Nassau Suffolk border. Those guys out there, they don't like commuting. You know, it goes from a twenty-minute, thirty-minute drive to the arena to a
0: hour and a half
1: on the subway, and they don't like the subway. And there's no parking, or it's an hour and a half drive. Fast forward a few years, they've built a new arena by Belmont Park. And this, this new arena is going to include a massive shopping component. It's being done by a branch of the Malton family. I think the father, the grandfather, or great-grandfather was the guy who put together the Empire State Reed. This particular guy is his business actually is developing the shopping malls. So he's got access to that arena. They're renovating the train station, because in New York, that's a big deal, the train. He's going to be doing south of sometimes the Turnpike, there's going to be a shopping mall. It's going to have Yves Saint Laurent and, and, and Fender outlets. It's a really, it's going to be a, a grade A shopping mall and you get the new arena. I'm not saying they did the arena as it, it, the real estate development was always a part of making this arena happen, as were some state incentives, but they're not direct cash incentives or the state's not building the arena. The state would do stuff like infrastructure or fund certain things. It's not the old style where we'll build you an arena and just hand it over to you as a gift. So the world is changing. And real estate's a big part of that.
0: And if Oakland A's decide to move to Las Vegas, I believe in this city and our county and the state will be able to put something very quickly. I mean, just look at how much Las Vegas has changed in the past four or five years. I remember before I moved to New York, It was, you know, we were still in like the later recovery from the previous um, recession. There were not that many people moving to Las Vegas, you know, four or five years ago. And now, like everybody, all of these Californians are moving to Las Vegas. And we have the waiters, we have the Golden Knights, we have the ballpark and aviators. And we have a new hotel, 3,500 rooms, Resorts World that just opened. Elon Musk's boring companies doing the underground tunnel connecting the the Las Vegas Convention Center Hall to all of these hotels on the Strip. And phase two is going to connect to downtown Fremont Street. And the airport, I think they're doing their um, renovations or for the terminals and stuff like that. So, and I think, okay, so this train deal, this train infrastructure <laughs> project. I was
2: going to ask if that was going to come up, yeah.
0: Between, okay, if a mega project happens inside the las vegas boundary the valley boundary we can do something very quickly but if half of the project has to do with california it has been taking us 30 years i remember i think they were probably talking about this train project before i was born, but I, was born I
2: always heard it over my lifetime of when they're going to build this train to vegas yep
0: but, but finally, I think a train company, I don't remember the name. I'm going to look it up. They just bought a 60 acres.
2: They're they're the ones working on this. And they, you're right that if you want to talk about the transaction that just happened.
0: Yeah. The 60 acres land transaction that they just bought across the street from the South Outlet Mall hmm. um, on Las Vegas Boulevard. So that's a great location because it's on Las Vegas Boulevard. You're on the strip, you can see the Mandalay Bay and it's close to the waiter stadium as well. Oh, you have a cat in the background. That's so cute.
2: Yeah. Um, He he didn't get a mention. So,
0: (laughs) and it's also close to, you know, across the street from the outlet mall. Yeah. I would like to get on a train and go to LA instead of, you know, drive on I-15. Flying is good too. But you know, going to it still LAX. takes time again.
2: Yeah, the flight still the before and a, you forget about the time it takes before and after a flight. You know, that yeah, you I mean, I, that. I, yeah.
1: I've always felt that flying, unless you're going like a substantial distance, like shuttle yeah. flying, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that was a great that put trains out of business. You know, the, the old you know,
0: yeah,
1: the airplanes put trains out of business. But um, you know, in new in in the the shuttle flying makes sense. It, it only—it doesn't really make sense anywhere. I think um, in, in the Northeast Corridor, it actually is easier to take the train. You literally walk mm-hmm. into the train station, sit down on the yeah. train, and it goes. It gets yeah. where it's going, and you're done. Um, yeah. With flying, I mean, you're talking about getting to the airport, getting through security at the airport. If by the time you're on the plane, it, it may. Oh, and then you're still on the tarmac for now, because you know who has ever gotten out of any airport without a delay there's always trains do bring a lot, but you know, they're very expensive to operate. So you have to hit a, you know, outside of the Northeast corridor, Amtrak does not make money. Uh, you know, Vegas to, to LA could, it's also a straight shot. So if you've got an area in America that's fit for a bullet train, that's actually it. Cause you're just going through desert for two thirds of the way, you know, yeah. it's just a straight shot.
2: That could be the location. I think you're on, that could be the proposed side location. I think you hit it on the head possibly.
0: Yeah, you know, sometimes I just wish you know. Look at all of these bullet train projects in China, um, in Asia. I
2: they get it done.
0: I know they just, they just get it done. I mean,
1: they, they get it done. The problem is in, in America. You know, people own that land and don't and don't want to. You know, it's it's a lot harder to get approvals. And you know, Europe, I think they built a lot of those after the war when it was just easier to get the land. Here, it's it's expensive. It's hard. And, you know, in the Northeast corridor, you can't do a bullet train because the road, it's, it, it zigs and zags. So you can't, it's got to be straight from what I understand. Vegas to, to you know, once you leave Vegas until you hit like LA proper, it's desert. So if you're going to do a bullet train, that's the place to do it. I mean, yeah. just,
0: just do
1: it. You're never going to be able to have a bullet train in in the greater LA area. But you could go normal train speed once you hit there. I mean, it's the desert. But then again, you have to go over mountains. That becomes a pain
0: okay I know we're running we... out of time um any last minute questions comments stories
2: uh you know what this is, this has been great I think let's stay tuned see what happens you know more news and and especially after the 20th but I think this topic was going to continue on for a little while but you know was this is we might have another part of it but hopefully we get to see more of like what site is really being looked at in the next couple of, I don't know month or so
0: you know what I'm going to publish this episode before the 20th to give a pressure. <laughs> I don't think they even care. I don't think they know about my podcast. They're listening to least, us. <laughs> but at least I need to put it on social media, you know, to you send a okay, the message. They're going to be
2: listening to it. Yep. We got to. Yeah,
0: come to Vegas. You know, look, don't come to don't Vegas. be
1: surprised. I mean, I think I think you would be surprised at how many people actually listen to your podcast and, and you, you use social media. And it, it does make an impact. And, you know, look, this is a very interesting time. And getting people talking about this, it, it, forget the team coming from, from the property perspective, you're going to have to take, once that proposal is published, you're going to have to take a look at and see what really is going on here. What's this, if this happens, who's making what, who's doing what, and where I think that's the, that's the stuff. That's the real interesting stuff. But Hey, baseball is always fun.
0: Yeah. Hopefully it will happen. So we can continue this series. This is going to be the Oakland A's to Vegas series in my podcast.
2: There we now, go. Look,
1: if it's not if it's not Oakland, it might be somebody else because
2: yeah.
1: once the discussion is started, it mm-hmm. does, I, I find it hard to believe that your city and your state are just going to sit there and say, "You yeah, now we've we've gotten the taste." Um, you,
2: you could know, see, you see a soccer team show up or something now, like an MLS team, you know, upgraded. So that's a reality too.
1: I think that could that's definitely happening at some point, um, especially because MLS is booming
0: and as a zellinio i would love to see an esports team in las vegas
2: but well, now we're talking this
1: is is something that's going to be all over you know i know somebody who is very involved in esports and, and they see tremendous growth in the esports arena and apparently a lot of esports guys are living in places where they have fast internet like texas but you know that's an area that's going to see a lot of growth just because you know it's something anybody could do but mls is booming i mean i could definitely see there being a, a mls movement in the in soccer teams also it's a game that has unlimited pools of talent because what is 6 billion 7 billion people in the world i think five or six of them play soccer Jeez. <laughs> you know
0: all right thank you so much everyone thank you for joining with me on this podcast, and we hope to continue this exciting conversation. Hopefully it will happen.
2: Absolutely. So, For those of hearing out there, let's make it happen.
0: Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. This was great. Thank Thank you you
2: so much. Awesome. Nice to meet you.
0: Thank you.